With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the right pack. All right, we're here for the next episode of the Right Pack Radio. Uh, I'm Brad Cook. I get the actual uh, guest hosting duties today. I'm excited about that. Uh, today we are talking about the writer's journey. And uh, with me, as always, is the amazing co-host. Hi, I'm Kathleen Kayembe. I write um, paranormal romance under the pen name Kaseka and Vita, and I may or may not be insane. Uh, I'm just here to chat today. Uh, I'm Matt McGraw. I'm an amateur writer. Uh, I'm also working on a kid's picture book called Patrick the Spider with my uh, cousin Jennifer. Hi, I'm Jennifer Stolzer. I'm currently illustrating Patrick the Spider as we speak. And you are, in fact, his cousin. I am his cousin. I'm glad we verified that. Yeah, everyone knows that by now. It it definitely matters. (laughs) They could have been confused. So, the topic for today... Is the writer's journey. So we're going to be talking all about uh, our writer's journey, writer's journey in general, parts of writer's journey, the drawer, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, to get to that, let's start off talking about our personal writing journeys. Anyone want to jump out there and start? I can tell you what my favorite toy was when I was little. Go for it. A word processor. I had dolls and stuff. The word processor was my BFF. And I was the proudest person ever when I got my very own disc to put in it, my very own floppy disc for stories. And, uh, yeah, I didn't know writers could be writers at that point, but that should have said something. And a lot of other things should have said something, too. But, I mean, like, yeah. I actually started writing before I got my first word processor. So I was actually creating stories, and we, we made books in elementary school. Yes! And that was the best. And that's totally what hooked me into making books and becoming a writer. Incidentally, we had thought about talking about fan fiction. My first fanfic was in fifth grade during one of those published books. Star Trek, guys, I rock. You published a Star Trek fanfic through for a classroom project? Oh, I was in first grade, and I illustrated it and everything. That was oh, wow. awesome. It was fun. Technically, I guess I did. I put gremlins in one of my <laughs> earliest books. Oh. What about you? Uh, well, let's see. I got started a little later, I guess. I was in uh, middle school, and there was a... Uh, I probably owe it all to like one teacher whose name I can't remember, but uh, oh. he ran like a creative writing... Like, he had an English class, and it was just in middle school, and he could have just blown it off. But uh, instead, he did, like, creative writing projects for everyone. And uh, I remember I used to, like, you know, you'd write out, like, a two, two-page two story. And uh, I remember I'd, we all didn't have to get up and read ours, like, aloud to the class. And I always got, like, a lot of uh, people really liked them. So I just kind of started doing that, and then that continued on to, like, high school and now. I grew up as an emulator. I wrote a lot of fanfic, and I can, even as a tiny, tiny child, 
Uh, I wrote... I don't know if this is my earliest fanfic. Because I was always, you know... I was always coming up with epic adventures from my action figures. You know, I was making a thousand sequels to every Disney movie because I had the two protagonists. And this is the adventure of John Smith and Pocahontas when they fell down the laundry chute. <laughs> <laughs> and that those kind of things. My Little Ponies and... They all had these long, elaborate storylines. Uh, one of them, let's see. I don't know. I wrote, I wrote a Thumbelina fanfic that I illustrated. That was pure self-insert. That I was in the story, and I got to ride the bird, and I got to be tiny and live in the house <laughs> with giant stuff. Uh, I wrote so much Little Mermaid fanfic in first grade. In third grade, I created a Lion King picture book. That was so thick, I had to invent my own stapling system in order to keep it together. I am jealous of I wrote, write so, so many silly fanfic things. You There's nothing wrong with starting with fanfic. A really I wrote a ton of Choose Your Own Adventure stories, too. Those Choose Your Own Adventure stories were yes, great. Those were, were so awesome. Um, you read one at an open mic. I, I remember. did. It was Way great back. fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, a choose your own adventure. She did. Yeah, she I read, read it, it the and then I had everyone raise their hands for which choice they wanted to take, and then I would turn to that point in my notebook. That is amazing. And read, That's really read the answer. Yeah, I have to say, actually, what I wrote as a kid in those early early elementary school books is almost identical to what I write now. It's almost scary. Higher quality now, though. Yeah, much much <laughs> higher quality. The illustrations, not so much. But the, oh, but the words have gotten much much better. But like, in what ways? I want to know. Well, I still write for kids, and I still write about adventure stories, So, and that's literally what I wrote. So I have this whole like Mesoamerican time-traveling craziness, and, and that's almost exactly you know what I'm still writing today. So it's you know historical fantasy. Well, you write what you love. Exactly. That's, uh, everyone should write what they love. Love is important. Everyone, you know, if you don't love it, it'll show on the page. And also everyone has their own kind of carnucopia of stuff they like, of tropes they like, and and things that they like to see. And so, therefore, no one's cornucopia is going to look the same, so you might as well write yours, and it'll be different from everyone else's. Um, related to that, I have always, always, always loved fairy tales and magic and violence, not on an epic scale, but, like, I really wish I was a badass. I really, really do, and I'm not. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't hurt anyone if I was. So, yeah, but... A lot of my stories um, when I was younger had to do with those kind of people, secret organizations, all that. And something that I learned in high school that I probably should not have learned, but there's one teacher that it happened with, was that that kind of story was not safe to give to um, teachers for assignments. They're like, there's blood in this. This is tasteless. And I was like, what? There's blood in everything I read. I don't understand. Mm, and I so think, you had to hide it. Yes, I did. But only with that teacher. The other teachers were like, okay, um, you might pump up the action here or whatever. Other teachers were great. But like, that was, I think, the first time I, it really clicked for me that there were certain things that were acceptable and other things that were not in the literary and genre worlds, and they were different. Hmm. I never had a teacher like... Any, put any kind of roadblocks up. I, I, I honestly really, I mean, I had several wonderful creative writing teachers uh, who, who really did let me express myself in any way I wanted to, which was really cool, especially with that young, fragile mind thing. And then uh, some of my playwriting teachers really let me expand and go crazy. I mean, the first play I ever wrote 
was all about uh, suicide. It was a, a regret. You know, the man had killed himself, and in the moment after that, regretted what he'd done. Mm. And so, that's it was all about that one moment. And, you know, I mean, that's hard-hitting and crazy. And it actually turned into a play, got produced on the stage. Cool. You know, in high school. It was crazy. But, you know, to be honest, it was really pushing a lot of boundaries and a lot of, you know, kind of stuff like that. So I, I was always thrilled to have that kind of... Encouragement. I do want to point out that was one teacher out of many, many oh, yeah. amazing English teachers. Just want to say that. I had kind of a halfway of these, and uh, I had a, one of my screenwriting teachers in college, actually. Uh, we were supposed to, for this particular class, it was supposed to be like an hour-long script, so about 60 pages. I'd worked my way up to about 120. And uh, I remember I changed, like I had like three ideas for what, a script I wanted to do, and I changed like five times in the process of writing it. And uh, he got very, he was like a really like Hollywood kind of guy where he's like very, you gotta get it done, like it matters, just get the words on the page so theoretically somebody can make the movie. Uh-huh. But uh, he was like, so long as I could find a good reason for something, he was okay with it. And I think looking back on it, that was really good, because... I wasn't allowed to just do whatever I wanted for no good reason, but so long as I had some kind of uh, justification. motivation, justification behind it. And so it got me to think like that way. Like, should I really kind of step back from things and be like, should I really go this direction? Do I have this kind of time? Do I, Can I see that the whole way through? That sounds like a good thing to learn. It sounds I like something wish. that a lot of uh, Hollywood hasn't learned. I wish... <laughs> I wish this was taught more. Like, ah, uh, uh, okay. So I had um, a creative writing class in high school where people did not do that. And it hurt me so much. It hurt. I, I'm sorry. Someone else talk, please. I'm being disturbed right now. <laughs> well, let's move on from, from school and what we learned as kids to kind of continuing on to that writer's journey when we actually started taking on writing in a more serious manner. Or, or was that from the very beginning for all of you guys? Can we go um, into what we learned from writing online as part of the series, Matt? Sure. Well, anything you've learned since then. I mean, part of the journey is going to be never stopping the education in this industry because there's always something new to learn. Yeah. So I truly believe that continuing education, and I don't mean that in the sense of any kind of college or whatever, just continuing to learn about the industry is always important. About everything. That too. Uh, well, I don't know anything about the industry, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think, like, once you start, really the big transformation, I think, is when you start showing other people what you've done, and that's when you start, like, finding out, well, if people are honest with you, that's where you start finding out, like, where your weaknesses are. For instance, like, dialogue, I think, is a common one for people, just because it's really hard to write in other people's voices. It's something you really do have to learn. And not to make it stilted and wooden. Yes. Or leave out so many letters that people have a harder time reading it than understanding the accent you. you're trying to portray. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that I learned a lot more about writing by the act of doing it in elementary school. Free to do whatever I wanted that way. And then online with fan fiction and fan communities. Okay. Like, 
I wrote so much fan fiction and it was most of it terrible, but I got better and I got to test out different ways of writing, different ways of telling the story, different kinds of characters um, in that kind of safer, more structured environment and get immediate feedback from people like this didn't work or this did. So that is a really good environment because you're getting, like you're getting exposure and, uh, well, you're getting exposure to people and you're not really invest, you're not throwing away like several years of your life or like putting in a lot of money to get something published. You're just kind of putting it out there. And because it's over the internet, you're also getting very honest opinions mostly. I mean, you do get those people who just say like, you know, nice, great job. But then uh, there's also the people who will absolutely take the occasion to crap all over you. Yes. But you do then find out there are people who will do that no matter what you do. And there are people who like the stuff you like. You are not alone. And that is a super important lesson right there. Critiquing. Learning what to take and what not to take. Because it's not nothing and it's not everything. You have to filter out what's good and then use that. That's hard. You have to learn that. That's a skill. I still haven't learned that, no. (laughs) Jen, you have talked about before, like, trying to give people critique because they have specifically asked for it, no holds barred, Mm -hmm. and then the bad reactions. Yes. They didn't know they wanted critique. They thought they did, (laughs) but they didn't. (laughs) She was just too hardcore for them. Well, it's when you point out that, uh, yeah, you ask them, do you want the light version or do you want the comprehensive version? They say, oh, I want the... Oh, it's like, give me the light version. It's like, well, you did this good, and you could work on that. It's like, okay, give me the comprehensive version. That's the only good part in the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's not... That's being a little too heavy-handed, but, you know, some people, they want the critique because they want to get better, but you have to also learn when you're critiquing to know who you're talking to. And sometimes you you can overwhelm people, so you need to give them something to work on. And if that helps them grow a bit, then maybe they'll fix the rest of it themselves. That's kind of what I tend to hope for, for critiquing. It's what I kind of want in return for my critiques. It's like, I don't want you to point out every little tiny nitpicky thing that's wrong with my draft, because it's probably going to change after you give me this big... uh, If there's a concept wrong with it, I'm going to rewrite the whole thing. I would rather see the concept first and deal with that, and when that's taken care of, we can go back in and talk about and this line is off, and this this punctuation is wrong, and uh, this character maybe is acting a little out of character. Those kind of things. As long as I've got, you know, i got to go in the tears, so. Don't tell me that there is a scar on my shoulder you want me to fix when I am seven feet tall and need to be two and a half feet tall. I suppose. Like, Why would you need to? Never I mind. mean, like, okay, I always <laughs> think of, like, stories like a body, like, if there is a spinal problem with the story, I don't care about what color you're painting the nails or dyeing the hair. The spine needs to get fixed. Then you can go slowly out, and then the skin okay. comes last. That's like, a good analogy. The bone structure. It's kind of a disturbing analogy. Mm-hmm. Or are we constructing a person from scratch? We're d- constructing a story from scratch. It's a homunculus kind of situation. There you go. Okay, I can relate to that. <laughs> so, critique. Yep. As a, it's definitely part of the journey. And you got to learn to take critiques and to give them and to give them. It, which one is harder, though? Um, Taking it's harder than giving it. Yeah, we're all opinionated. It's easy to think <laughs> you know better than someone else, especially if you've been writing for a while. It's easy to say, "Well, I learned this in my writing, so I should tell you about that because I learned it first. 
<laughs> I think part of it is yeah, but then are you killing someone's voice? See, that's something else. You know, oh, there's see, an art to it, yeah. and I haven't mastered it. At that's all. <laughs> that's the hard part about taking critique is there's also like there's that part of uh, the other person who's kind of putting their voice over yours a little. And that's really what you have to ferret out. Yeah, that because you should never replace somebody's voice. That's bad. I had a critique partner. Not I'm not dropping any names or anything, and we shouldn't do that because everyone's just trying to help each other. Um, but I had a critique partner who wrote with more of a, I'll use the word educated vocabulary than I was kind of going for tone-wise in my book. I had a teenage protagonist and I was trying to keep all of the words kind of at a high school level. And... They kept changing the way things were said to make it sound more literary. And I recognized that that wasn't really the path I needed to go with my my novel and asked for them to stop doing that. There was an editing job um, for a romance publisher online that I applied to. And I realized after um, I had submitted the application and not gotten the job, which is a good thing because I would not have been able to do all that editing. Um, But after I submitted the application, I was thinking about it and looking back through my edits, and I really had, like, tried to rewrite the story in my own voice. And it was something I hadn't recognized that I was doing until after. What I find is the best for critiquing is to not try and inject yourself onto the page, but literally just to make the page better. So trim out the words that don't need to be there, but mm-hmm. don't clip the voice. Try to find out what you know, the story try, was trying yeah, yeah. to do. Make the story as lean as possible in the sense of you want to see the actual plot coming forward on the page as opposed to a lot of other stuff. You know, but at the same time, you know, and, and if you can do that, that that's wonderful, but that's hard. I, mean, I love doing work. that. I really like uh, yeah, trimming the fat. Like, that's one reason why my projects are never over. <laughs> that's why I over-edit them, is because I enjoy doing that so much. Just downright mean. I am. <laughs> She's also right, like, all the time. Not, not all the time. Not all the time. Like, all of the time. Okay, so um, I've had story problems before, as writers do. And Jen has gotten me to talk to her about them. And then she, like, moves two things and it's all suddenly completely fine. And like, oh, I didn't think of that. Okay. Wow. How did how did you see that? Like, Well, see, that's what fresh eyes are wonderful for. That's why editors uh, exist. It's not just yes. fresh eyes, though. Jen does that with everything. <laughs> I don't understand. Some people have it's a magic a curse, story wand. It's not, it's a, not curse. a curse. It's totally a curse. I can't enjoy anything. I love, <laughs> I love watching. Now, that's the writer's curse. Because every writer sits in a movie and watches it the same way. Oh, that's what they're going to do. Oh, Act 2. Yep. Act 2 just oh, started. Oh, okay. Act 2 just started up. We're coming into the... Uh, yeah. That's is... how every writer watches a movie or... You'll yeah, die in 3, 2... Ah, uh, yep. Highly <laughs> recommend watching movies with Jen, especially movies that fall short. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it is the funniest thing ever. Like, oh, it's like I watching... Really, I should start bringing you to B-movie night. That would be great. Can I talk <laughs> through it? Uh, some of them, yes. All right, you, you just tell me want which to ones. have your mystery, mystery science theater, theater three thousand. I was yes. trained. I hey, <laughs> I watch a <laughs> lot of. Re- wrong with that. I watch a lot of review shows and critique shows. I bring them up all the time. They've educated me on how to take a story apart. Yes, and how to look at story elements and how to identify problems because every single thing ever made by a human is going to be flawed in some way, and there's no reason why you know like don't. 
kick yourself for having something that's flawed because we are human beings and there will always be a flaw, but learn from flaws. So when you're looking, when you're listening to a critique of, you know, the Star Wars prequels and they're taking it apart and it's not just complaining about it. If you're just complaining about it, that's one thing. That's not a critique. But it's like, I'll recommend these guys. They're not for the faint of heart. But if you haven't heard of the of redlettermedia.com, they do a great job deconstructing a whole bunch of different uh, sci-fi movies. Star Trek and Star Wars, specifically. But other ones, too. They're very crude. Five out of five stars do recommend. Uh, they're... They get a li- their humor pushes to a certain level, but when they're doing the story critique, uh, something that stood out that I'll cite from them to kind of prove my point. Uh, pe- a lot of people complain about the prequels character-wise. They complain about Anakin because he's too brooding, and they complain about uh, Obi Wan because he's too bland. But really, what they're complaining about is that they don't feel like real people. And the Red Letter Media guys pointed out once that uh, all the characters in all these scenes are written backwards. Uh, for example, at the beginning of the second movie, when uh, Amidala is going to get, she's about to get killed by those millipede things that they release into her bedroom, and then they have to chase down the bounty hunter through that awesome street chase scene, it was Anakin who should have been the impulsive one that jumped out the window and grabbed the droid, not Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, more logically, would be the one to go get the speeder and chase him in a more traditional, safe way, but Obi-Wan was the one who jumped out the window like a crazy person <clears throat> who may or may not have actually caught the droid, or they may, it's like, what if the droid was a small bomb that exploded in his face? You had no, he had no idea and that didn't seem like him, so that cheapened his character and yeah, they but made I, us I not believe think him. maybe they were going for the, that's just how Jedi were. No. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> These are monks that meditate, think everything <laughs> through, yeah, listen to the force. The there is a, um, a section in the first um, Red Letter Media review for uh, episode one of Star Wars, mm-hmm. where they ask people to describe the characters in the uh, original Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, Star Wars films, and then the prequel Star Wars films, the main characters, mm-hmm. without using names, appearance, his, and uh, occupation. Yes, I think this is known as the uh, Plinket test on because he's awesome on the internet. Yeah, that's what that's what yeah. Red Letter Media is. is mm-hmm. some Harrius Plinket in his reviews, so that's the Plinket test. Yeah, uh, so um, it was funny what happened. So, is there a lot to learn from like watching uh, or reading bad stories? Yeah, if you can pull it, as long as you could take it apart and pull out the parts that would yes. that that would make it make it bad. Hence the um, reason we write bad stories yes. for so long until we start realizing everything we're doing wrong in them, and then we start writing much better stories. Yeah, it occurred to me while I was watching a movie called uh, Beaks, which is some <laughs> kind of horrible Italian birds knockoff. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the problems with the story is that there's like two main there's like these two reporters that are the main characters, I think. You're not sure? And, no. <laughs> he said one of the problems. Um, and, like, what happens a lot is, like, there's a scene where they're like, you know, we need to get on a train to get out of here. And then, like, the movie will cut to somewhere else, and they'll cut back to those two, and they're already on the train. You know? There's yeah. no, like, they skip all the conflicts, kind of. And if uh, you're watching something like that, and you say, oh, the problem here is that they're skipping the interesting conflicts and they're just jumping around to whatever's convenient to shoot, then uh, that's the problem with that story. I should avoid doing that. I experienced this last night. They were playing uh, an old 
version of the Portrait of Dorian Gray. Oh. It was amazing, and I loved it because mm-hmm. it was it was trying its hardest. <laughs> uh, but one thing that that I was you know, the director. I noticed. I, I blame the director. It might not be his fault, but I'm going to blame the director. Uh, a thing he loved to do is have people deliver their lines as they're walking away from the camera out a door. Oh, which yeah. was a bad choice because you didn't understand a word they were saying. And also to stage scenes that have a lot of like. There were some scenes that were really fluffy, like it was a long scene of a dinner where they're all talking about stupid politics, and one guy threatens to storm out, but it takes him three minutes of considering whether or not he wants to eat quail or not to sit back down. And then they immediately cut to a shot of Dorian and his friend Henry out on the lanai, and Dorian says, I'm engaged to be married. And then they cut. Like, that was the whole scene, was them standing there with plants, he says I'm engaged, end scene. And so, I'm thinking, well, scene over, I guess. <laughs> could have just evened those two out a little. Maybe made the engagement one a little longer, made the other one a little shorter. And you can take that that thought into your writing with you and you say, okay, the point of the scene is for Dorian to be engaged, to, to announce that he's engaged. Now, would it have been better for him to announce that maybe at dinner to distract from the quail thing? <laughs> <laughs> would it have been better for him to announce it after being on the lanai with his friend for a while and not worried about so much what was going on with these characters in funny hats sitting around eating dinner? Because <laughs> obviously there's a, a malignment there. So you could think about what would make it better, and then you can apply it to your own work in the future when you run into maybe a similar problem. Have you ever found that you read a story or see a movie or TV show and something just is off about it and you really don't like it, but you can't pin on pin down why. And when you finally realize why you're like, Oh, I do that. Oops. Hmm. Do you have any personal? Yeah. Do you have an anecdote to go with that? Um, there is a type of story that I dislike intensely because there is no conflict. Hmm. I find it in a gay romance genre the couple gets together, and um, everything's great for three quarters of the book. And then maybe something's going to happen, but no, 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 it's still fine. And then some contrived misunderstanding made of crap that could easily be fixed if people would use mm. words. <laughs> like, more than two. Like, I'm not going to just spout off, oh, that was terrible of you, and I'm leaving. And I'm not going to pick up the phone ever when you call. Or, you know, like, stupid crap. That, that happens in rom-coms a lot. Yeah, and the, I hate the contrived it. conflicts. Yep. I hate those. I hate them. I hate them in those stories. The uh, Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. I heard the audiobook of that. Like, it was brilliant up until the point it did that. And I wanted to shoot everything. Yeah, we call that trope The Misunderstanding. And yes. I've sat in theaters with fellow writers, and you can feel it coming. And everyone looks yep. over and goes, oh no, the <laughs> misunderstanding. Yet again, this is why going to movies with writers is so much fun. Or like the shoehorn <laughs> conflict of any kind, but the misunderstanding is the worst. Yes. Uh, I hate convenience. Yes. I hate looking, watching a movie or reading a book, I'm reading a book currently, where suddenly someone shows up and solves everything. It's like, well, that was convenient. Thanks for appearing. There's no reason why he should have been well, there's, there. There's a classic one with that, Robin Hood, when King <laughs> Richard shows up in the end and just puts, sets everything right. Like, oh, thanks, King. Yeah. Can I just completely date this uh, episode, though? X-Men Days of Future Past, I'm really excited for it, because um, Wolverine is going to be a Banff, and I read a fanfic where he did that. 
he just showed up and fixed everything. Yeah, he he joined in the um, when they first were recruiting instead of being like piss off, um, and all the little problems that were stupid misunderstandings or just ridiculous. He was like, "Hey, this is what's going on. Stop being an idiot. Uh-huh. Done." And <laughs> like. Everything is better, and Days of Future Past seems like that's what they're doing. Yeah, they're like, go fix it. <laughs> my, my biggest problem in the issue with stories is the the character who does something just completely out of left field because they have to. Oh, the plot. Because, because the plot. Push the plot forward, yes. That irritates me to no end, and movie directors love that. Yeah. Movie directors love that a lot. Also messages. People as messages. Oh, simple people? Relina, uh, for example. I hate her so much. In Gundam Wing, uh, there's one of the only female characters in the whole show. Her is name is Relina. And she Relina is the Peacecraft. S- no, no, no. She's Dorlian. Then she finds out that she is the princess. Good point. Princess Peacecraft. She oh. is the symbol Orphaned. for peace. She has no character other than being peace. And stupid. And does she, she do is- this a lot? Does she? She's the object. I feel of... like she does actually. I, I don't she, know. she stands around as if she's posed for some sort of a saintly portrait. Oh, yes. she totally does. I know that the entire ending sequence has her playing gaily with animals. Oh god, <laughs> I love that show too. <laughs> One reason I dislike Relina so intensely is because out of all the anime characters to share my birthday, it had to be her, really. So, I as have a that little much. kid, that's really important too. It is. You know? it's like, like I'm, I relate to you, and I don't want to. Yeah, like why? Why are no? She had one job to say Hiro's name endlessly. No, no, she had two jobs: Hiro, <laughs> and then go chase him down, even though he's explicitly said he is going to kill her if she keeps following him. He <laughs> is trying to work. Yes. No, that is suicide. Well, he doesn't kill her though, so. Well, because he's a symbol. <laughs> She's a symbol. That's why he doesn't kill her. If she he knew were fighting he wasn't... For, for war instead of fighting for peace, she would be dead. She knew yeah. he wasn't going to kill her because she wasn't a human who could experience human fear and have doubt. She was a vehicle of the plot that needed to be there for it to continue. So therefore, she wasn't allowed to think like a person would think. She was there to do the business of the plot, like the tiny pinky finger of the author as they move through the story. But that's but not the point. The point is to, to sit there and watch the Gundams blow stuff up. See, there you go. But she <laughs> See, disrupted just, that. Yeah, you could have just gotten moved rid of her. Side. Yeah, could have rid of her entirely. There but, would be no ladies. But there, there, no, you know. like there's, no, there's Noi the, and Lingun and Dorothy yeah. and Catherine and yeah. um, Sally. They are all awesome. Yeah, Dorothy was Why? insane. It was awesome. Oh yes, <laughs> yes she was. But like then you have the main. Uh, why? Why did we see more of Relina than any of those other people who are characters? Because she and, and Hiro were uh, supposed to be the love. Because of the... love and peace? No. Peace the, and war? No. The love was with the other Gundam pilots. He couldn't feel that emotion, and she was a a, a statue. He barely they, felt anything. They, they were still supposed to be. They they were well, those tropes of characters. All right, they were right, characters. But, yeah, we, we've oh. gotten on the anime subject so much there. So watch anime because it tells you how to write. How, uh, <laughs> but here's like an exercise for that. I heard some solutions offered. How would you fix that character? Like, what would you do with that person if you could rewrite the story? Well, first off, she would have some chemistry with Hero at all. Yeah, that would help because get that would, Gundam. You know, I want her in a Gundam. Well, but people do me. people do crazy things when they're in love, and if she actually was in love with him, hey, maybe she would have followed Rain him. jumped in the Gundam, so I want Relina in the Gundam. Something that bugged me about this show was that the women, <laughs> except for Relina, yeah. were all really strong and like knowing best, like better oh, Gundam boy. pilot than Zex, yeah. and she was just like, "I'm a lady, you go be famous and all that crap." Um, and I feel like with Relina, she was like the 
ultimate cop-out. She, Batman's parents got killed. Spoiler. And he became Batman out of that. Rolina, her parents got killed. Then she found out they were her second set of parents to get killed. And she was a princess, but she had no kingdom because they were total pacifists there and thus were completely annihilated. And then she found out she had a brother. Yes. What does she do with all that? She flies her plane and she tries to get in front of them and stop them by hanging out the plane going, Wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it explodes from the G-forces and blows away she's, in the wind. She's got as much money too. as the Wayne family. Why is that what she does instead of, like... I feel like she didn't learn from any of the mistakes that she made. She wasn't any a of human her parents' being. mistakes. Either. She didn't behave the way a human would. Yeah, that's, no that's one, the thing. You know, none of the scriptwriters sat down and thought, "If I were Rolina, what would I do in this scene?" No <laughs> not one be did here. that. Like <laughs> not none, be none, here. And if they did do that and they proposed it, then someone vetoed it. Yeah, well, that's because so they, they explicitly said she was meant to be a symbol. Yeah, yeah, so it was, she purposely was not written as if a human, and that keeps us from identifying with her. Yeah. That's the reason why we just had a discussion complaining about her characterization. Something else that I intensely <laughs> dislike in the Gundam people awesome. as yeah. messages category, um, I ran into this a lot more uh, past decade, decade <laughs> and a half, whatever. Um, I stopped watching movies um, that were supposed to be about gay people. Stopped. Yeah. They were the most depressing things ever. I was like, really? There are all these other movie genres and tropes and ways to be people and not want to die. People are actually committing suicide because they are gay. And you're showing them these movies that say your life is going to suck? Really? Like, there's... All the gay characters would die. Happened in comic books, too. Like, someone would get beaten up because they were gay, and then, oh my goodness, the hero has learned that other people are people, too. Like... I hate that kind of thing. Like, if you're going an Angel and Rent, I'm sorry. I loved mm -hmm. Angel. After after Angel died, spoiler, I checked out. Like, nope. He was perfect. That's great. But now he's dead. He was going to die and we knew it because he was perfect. But still, really? Yeah. Yes. That's another use of character as device. Yeah. Oh. Uh, potentially the, uh, like the kind of Whedon thing almost, where you yes. take somebody the audience likes. We didn't like Murder to kill puppies, yes. Yeah, but see, that's, a di that's something different. different, though. That, that's that's a new thing about shocking the audience. I mean, that's Red yeah, Wedding. That's, yeah, they're not... You know, Red Wedding isn't written to restart the, you know, universe of Westeros. It's literally just to shock the hell out of the reader and mm -hmm. I consider it. I consider it a cheap shot. It's the dra dramatic version of a jump scare in a horror movie. Yeah. It's like, you didn't do that for any good reason, narrative-wise. You just did that to make me go, <gasps> and I don't like being played like an instrument. See, I've, I've killed off characters in books before. That's how I take and it. Well, to me, they were really hard. It was like a, this is an emo, like, I know I'm crushing your soul, and I'm going to do it for a really long time, and I'm going to draw it out, uh -huh. and together, you and I, I as the reader, or I as the writer, and you as the reader, or we're just going to rip our hearts into little tiny shreds as we uh -huh. kill this character? Yeah, I kind of think that's how it should be. Not necessarily what? just the, oh, boom, your favorite guy died. Let's move on. Yeah. No, it's mm. the... Uh, New start. I'll, I'll put it in contrast with, like, uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter killed off a lot of characters. Um, in Specifically, not to uh, spoil the whole series for anyone who hasn't read it yet, uh... They kill off a couple characters as, like, a big event in the story. And when those characters die, it sucks, but you understand that they died 
I'm not going to say for a purpose because that makes it sound like a noble death. Sometimes it's not a noble death. Sometimes it's an accident that they died. Sometimes they died under bad, you know, pre, you know, prehenses or whatever. But the point is that story-wise, you can see why that death occurred because the characters grew from that event. As opposed to, uh, we'll take the Avengers. I hope everyone's seen the Avengers. If you haven't, halfway through, the puppy dies. <laughs> there was no really? reason. There's no reason why you had that. to kill the puppy. Yes, there is, so that we could have an entire TV show devoted to that dead puppy. No, no. the reason in the that film. came later. In the film, he, they did it to avenge someone. Yes. But it was like... The Avengers, it was they a have way to of avenge. bringing people together. Like, it wasn't... It didn't feel like it had the same sort of weight that... No, but I don't know. I mean, it started a whole hashtag the second it happened, so... That's because people were hurt. Like, it hurt people. Well, yeah, but I also... Because it was dumb. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would like to think somewhere in the back of Josh's mind that was all done on purpose. Um, I did... I think that that... I'm just trying to avoid... was more important... I'm just trying to avoid than, talking about Wash again. But Wash is the better example... Yeah. ...of that he, he got killed because everyone liked him. Yeah. And that was the only reason. I mean, they used it as kind of a motivation for Zoe, but Zoe was going to go to war anyway. I... She didn't need that to get her going it was just to say hey audience war is hell i felt like also, it was more the to third say act just started yeah hey, audience, there is no one safe no one is safe that's what i felt when when wash died i was like yeah they're gonna fight and it's gonna be holy crap any one of them could die if the best well, if oh, die, like book had already point. died and, yeah uh, but book was not on <laughs> from the writer <laughs> perspective too though there you know that's always a possibility because you know that's the last movie he's gonna make you're like this he's probably not making anything further in the story so he doesn't have to hang on to any of those characters yeah you can kill them all off if you want that's a way of being shocking which is the new way of you know surprising people it hits home that okay stuff is bad one thing i'm gonna do since we only have you know 10 minutes so left uh was to switch over and kind of talk about the last part of the writing journey which is the books that end up in drawers or under the bed that we we you know we don't utilize and how we bring those forward and more importantly that it's okay to have written those books and for them to sit in the drawer and probably better for some of them to stay there forever Heck and yeah. ever i have a hard time letting go of my things so the idea of writing a book and putting it in a drawer is actually kind of terrifying to me see there's nothing wrong with that a book or like what about shorter things you mean like never publishing something short yeah Oh, I, I don't have so much a problem with that, mostly because I don't think I, you know, I didn't devote ten years of my life to it. I don't love a short story with the same depth of emotion I have for a project that took, that I've worked so hard on. I think it also comes from a plotting perspective. You know, in a short story, I come up with an idea, I write an idea, I craft it a bit, I can read through it a couple times and make it presentable, but for a novel-length thing, I have charts, I have character elements, I have wall art i have things you know i've thought spent every waking hour of my life for a period of time thinking about this world its characters and how they all interact with each other the idea that all of that passion gets shoved in a drawer and the only people to read it are my mom and my grandma that's that hurts inside of me see but maybe maybe i'm more like hopeful in the stupid way but like (laughs) I always think, like... It's called naivety. Yes. Uh, maybe I'm more naive, but... I don't think of, like, putting something in a drawer as, like, a permanent decision. Like, I'm always like, well, okay, maybe this isn't going to happen right now. 
or maybe I'm not a good enough writer for it yet, but I can just put it in this drawer and I can always come back to it. I always have it in my pocket. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I would agree with that because even though it's sitting in the drawer and may never see the light of day and may never should see the light of day, I've got a couple of those, <laughs> um, you know, there's still always the chance that it can. I mean, my first book, you know, took me five years to write. It was 200,000 words. It was crazy. It's a giant yeah. epic fantasy, just like everyone does for their first, you know, insane <laughs> book. But I've drawered that. It's now 125,000 words mm-hmm. and it's much better shape and can totally, if I went back to it and... I'm a much better writer now, so I probably want to go through and clean up all those bad sentences. Yeah. But other than that, you know, it's still a great story. It's still ready to rock and roll. It's just, and are you using, is that still on your plate as a possibility to try yeah. and pitch and query and things like I don't, that? I'm not going to pitch and query it, but I, I'm because I love it too much and there's nine of them. So. Oh, oh I see. Yeah. <laughs> In a series. So. No, no publisher is going to want that. But who knows? I might self-publish one day. But I have others that, you know, middle grades and stuff that I might still do something with, too. I think that um, goes to what I believe about writing and living your life. Hmm. Um, Nothing is ever wasted um, as a writer or as a person. But I've had experiences that I would never, ever, ever like to ever have again. Hmm. But even, like, in the middle of how horrible they were, I was thinking... Well, at least I can write about it. Uh, at least I know what that feels like now. May it never happen again. Yeah. And or, books know. under the bed are the same, I think, um, or in the drawer. Like, you've learned something by doing them, whether or not you show them to the public. Most definitely. You learn by making mistakes. I know that personally, as I learn much better from making a mistake and having my bottom spanked in some way by the world than I do by just thinking... Okay, it's probably not a good idea to do this particular thing. You kind of need, like, the proof somehow for it to really hit you. You're in the school of hard knocks. Yes. Learn by doing. Because I have the dumbs. But (laughs) it's my own curse. It's a different way of learning. I learn by doing. Like, it's an experience that then you have, and you're like, huh. No, if I walk in front of a speeding train, bad things will happen to me. I well, know that's that ha- also that's learning from other people's experience. Well, <laughs> you can learn from other people's experiences, but it doesn't it doesn't hit home the same. Oh, hit literally when yep. you're walking Depend- in front of a speeding train. Oh yeah, Wait, it depends on how much you emphasize or empathize with them. You know, like if you're watching, if you're watching the person get hit by the train, you'll probably be pretty careful around trains. It's then become part of your experience, though. You know, because like the arm will land next to you, and you'll be like, oh. You have experienced the horror of someone (laughs) who walked in front of a train. It's like, you know... Or if you're, like, watching a kind of, like, movie or reading, like, a kind of story that you could see yourself writing, and you also see all the terrible, embarrassing bits in it, and you're like, I could totally have ended up posting something like this on the internet, and everyone would know how awful I am. I've had that experience before, that someone literally made the same mistake I intended to make about a day ahead of the time ahead of the time of me posting something and then saved me from having made the mistake. And that is awesome. <laughs> yes. It's so great. I thought about sending them a thank you note for doing that. But like, then they posted later about how they were sobbing in their room. I was going to say, that, that might just be, you know, salt in a wound. Yeah. It's like, thanks for doing that so I didn't have to. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> You, you jump. It's like a secret service agent just diving in front of you. Yeah. Writers oh, making whoops. dumb mistakes so you don't have to. 
Well, I'll say that I, I personally believe that your next book or next project or next whatever will always be better than what you've written before because you're taking that entire experience from an elementary school level all the way up until, you know, you're writing to try and get published, mm-hmm. taking all of that and putting it into your next project. Compound experience. Exactly. So I always think your next project will probably be better. So should we uh, should we finish up by going around the circle and sharing kernels of knowledge from our experience to close it out? Do like not it. stand in front of a moving train. Let's say writing experience. <laughs> yes. Thank you for specifying. I'm that, sorry, that's guys. That's a very good sorry, experience. Don't do that. Don't stand in front of trains. Unless you're Superman, but then even don't do it. No, don't do it. <laughs> now that ended Mr. Incredible's career. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, well, would you like to start? Oh, I, I thought we were starting. Anyway, <laughs> well, go ahead, start then. Uh, I would just say that uh, you know to to never stop uh, writing because the moment you stop writing is the moment you stop your journey, and that is a horrible thing. So just keep writing, even when it sucks. Even when it sucks. Actually, especially when it sucks. Um, based. Sorry. No. I'm um. Coming off of a a spate of not writing for a while, and it's horrible. Just so you know, people who are writers who are writing are wonderful people. People who are writers who are not writing are miserable people. Just shove us at a notebook with a pen and just leave us alone for a few minutes. We'll be fine when we come out. Um, but never, don't undervalue your experiences write stuff down. It doesn't matter if you're going to publish it or you're not, or you think it might be useful or not. It's all, it's all useful. Uh, the only thing I would say is never stop asking questions either about, uh, yourself or writing or, uh, your stories in particular. Always ask more questions about what's going on in it, what that world is like, uh, what character would do what. And if you can answer most of your questions satisfactorily, you're probably doing okay. Uh, my advice is to observe other people and how they do their processes and how they make their mistakes. Because every mistake you can watch someone else make is one you don't have to make yourself. And if, uh, if you're watching movies or reading books and you're thinking, uh, this is a good idea, this is how I could do that better, then you've come to a conclusion without having to actually spend that time i would like to also add another piece of advice if you can ever watch a movie with jennifer do i don't know when you'll have that opportunity but we'll see y'all aren't as lucky as us sorry we'll have to youtube it or something (laughs) all right well thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of the right pack radio uh we'll tune in next time so catch y'all later theme songs for right pack radio were written and performed by meredith tate all copyrights remain with her Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website. Hello.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.